0: Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for listening in to our Wednesday podcast. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to continue our three-part series looking at some potential replacement candidates for Ken Norton Jr., who was fired yesterday by the Seahawks. They have an opening at defensive coordinator, a big vacancy that they're going to be trying to fill here in the near future. We're going to be taking a look at some former head coaches that might be on the radar as potential replacements. Plus, we're going to continue our awards with a look at the comeback player of the year, several worthy candidates for that award. Rob and I will be discussing and debating our selections. Thanks for joining us on the Locked On Seahawks podcast and making it your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Anytime you get to the end of the season, there are a number of procedural things that every NFL team has to take care of. And one of them is figuring out which players on your practice squad that you want to keep around for the next season with future reserve deals. And the Seahawks have taken care of that business. They signed 12 players about a week and a half ago today. They added a 13th player on a reserve future contract. And there's a number of these players, Rob, that we got to see play in a few games for the Seahawks this season. There's also several of these players that while they weren't able to dress or play in any games, they were on the practice squad the entire season. And as we've seen in the past, Sometimes these players, after they've had a year in the practice squad to develop, are able to take a big enough jump in year two where they are able to fight their way onto the 53-man roster or at least play themselves into a position where they can get promoted for a few games. We saw that with Cody Thompson this year. So there's some exciting young players on this list that will have an opportunity to play their way into a bigger role, potentially onto the active roster with the Seahawks next August.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is that uh, these are young players that uh, have obviously have shown something that has intrigued Seattle, um, you know, and some of these players on this list, uh, as you mentioned, uh, saw some playing time for the Seahawks this past season. Uh, the cornerback Mike Jackson played a little bit uh, at the tail end of the the, the season. Cody Thompson, of course, with the big special teams play, um, you know, against Arizona. Um, you know, and and then you see like guys like uh that intrigued us a little bit uh during the preseason, like the defensive tackle Jared Hewitt. Uh, you know, one of my favorites and yours as well, I believe, the linebacker Aaron Doncor. uh you know, so there is a number of players that were uh that the Seahawks brought in. But you know, the most recent addition, the one signed just today, Alex Changham, um, formerly of uh, well, I remember scouting him back at the University of Colorado, um, 6'3, 245 pounder, who is a heck. Of an athlete and a guy who didn't play high school football. Um, so you, you'd like to think that he is that type of diamond in the rough that this program was designed to help teams find.
0: Yeah, Chang was actually with the Seahawks briefly in training camp last August. Then they cut him. He was on the practice squad a couple different times for brief spells. So the Seahawks bringing him back as much as they have. It tells me that there's something there they're intrigued by because if this was a player that, after one stint, they're like, you know what, just, you know what, we got to look at him. It's fine, whatever. They wouldn't bring that player back. And that's not to say that Chang'em is going to suddenly make this roster because getting cut as much as he has, probably not going to happen. But as you said, he's got good size, very athletic, just a very raw player. And if you're able to reach this kid and you're able to develop his football skills, might be a guy that can find his way. Onto the practice squad for an entire season and maybe develop into a rotational pass rusher at best. I would think that would be his ceiling. But there are a couple other players in this list that I think maybe have a little higher ceilings. And I want to start off with Miles Adams because we got to see Miles Adams play against the Rams and Bears late in the season. And I thought he played really well in those games. And Pete Carroll was raving about him afterward. They didn't get to play him. The last two games, he was on a COVID list for one of those, so he wouldn't have been eligible to play, unfortunate. But a guy around 290 pounds, a little lighter at defensive tackle, but a really quick first step, plays with good leverage, athletic, makes tackles in the backfield. They've got some question marks at defensive tackle going into free agency. Outwoods wants to come back. We'll see if he comes back. But they could certainly use another athletic three-tack, and I think Miles Adams – has that kind of upside to me, that might be the most exciting player on this list. That's coming back from a positional standpoint, might be able to play his way into a 53 man roster spot next, next summer. I think he's got that kind of upside. He's a player that really made big strides this season after he was on the practice squad briefly, two years ago, the coaching staff seems to like him. So miles Adams, you mentioned Mike Jackson. I liked what I saw the two games he played in a big body, long arm corner, that plays well on special teams. So getting him back was a big deal. He might be able to play into a rotational role depending on who comes back in free agency for the Seahawks at the cornerback position. And I think there's a couple of receivers on here that are intriguing. Aaron Fuller, we know him from the University of Washington, got to dress for the final game against the Cardinals. Russell Wilson's had a lot of positive things to say about him. He's got some special teams ability. And Kay Johnson, undrafted rookie this past season, Coming out of South Dakota State, we didn't get to see him dress for any games. He actually got cut from the practice squad for a couple days in the middle of the season, but they brought him back. Still a player that I believe could have a future playing on Sundays because he's such a savvy route runner and was so productive at the college level. Might have an opportunity to play into a roster spot next year when he's had another offseason with the team. So those are just a handful of names that jump out to me. But looking at the entire list, you mentioned Aaron Doncor, Greg Island the tackle out of Mississippi State. They're excited about his upside, a good project tackle. They also brought back Pierre-Olivier Lestage, the Canadian guard slash center. It sounds like guards really where they want to play him, but he could have a future at the center spot. They get another year with him. Linebacker Lakeem Williams, as well as defensive tackle Niall Scott, who they added late in the season to the practice squad. They must have liked what they saw, a bigger body defensive tackle. They're bringing him back again. That's a position that – They may have some needs from a depth standpoint. That's why you're bringing Adams back as well as Niles Scott. But overall, again, there are a number of players on this list, the 13 players that they brought back in reserve future deals. A number of them have a legitimate opportunity to play onto the 53-man roster come next training camp.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. That's one of the reasons why you know, kind of focused in a little bit there with uh, with Mike Jackson, just because of the turnover possible at the cornerback position. I think that you are absolutely spot on uh, in, in mentioning the defensive tackle Miles Adams. I thought that he was the best player of this bunch so far. Obviously, saw the most action um, for Seattle of, of this crew. Um, I also think that the wide receivers, um, you know, again, especially Kate Johnson. I mean, remember the way that uh, Senior Bowl uh, executive. Jim Nagy, former Seahawks scout, of course kind of raved about Kate Johnson how we were so shocked that uh, that Johnson went all the way through last year's draft and was not selected um, really thought that he might be one of the, those true diamond in the rough types that, that Seattle might be able to win with um, You know, this is, of course is the same Jim Nagy who basically told us that Jake Curran was going to wind up becoming a starting right tackle uh, for some team in the NFL, of course at that point we didn't know that was going to be for the Seahawks as a rookie so yeah, I think that uh, the Kate Johnson is a guy to absolutely keep an eye on, and I love that you mentioned Greg Island Corbin because everybody is just going to assume that Stone Forsyth is going to be the tackle of the future for the Seahawks, and it certainly he could be. And obviously, Seattle felt really good about him in making him a selection rather than waiting to undrafted free agency like they did with Island. But at the same time, Island is a similarly sized guy, and the fact that he is going to be on the on the Seahawks roster, even if it is just their you know practice squad futures uh, roster right now, still. He is staying with the program. And so that suggests the Seattle is obviously very intrigued by the big man.
0: Yeah, and there's a couple other guys that aren't on this list that are still on the 53man roster that could be exclusive rights free agents that would be worth noting. Guys like Josh Johnson, we'll have a chance to dive into some of those names as we progress into the offseason. But they've got some young guys they're very intrigued by. And I agree with you on Greg Island. When you look at the size aspect, the athleticism that he brings to the table very raw player, but if he's coached up by Mike Solari, they kept him around on the practice squad all year. Maybe that is a kid that makes a big leap in his second season with the team. If his technique gets honed up, it Is a kid that could have some upside to maybe at least make your roster as a swing tackle. So it looks like that might be a pretty good undrafted crop of linemen that the Seahawks were able to unearth with Jake Curhan, as well as Greg Island and Olivier Lestage, who, They seem to be pretty high on as well, if not for a hernia during training camp. We might have a little different story we're talking about now. Maybe he gets an opportunity at some point to play. That did not happen this season, but a good young crop of players that will be back on future reserve deals. And they certainly could add a couple more players to that list here in coming days as we move into the heart of the 2022 offseason. We're going to continue our awards here in a moment with Comeback Player of the Year, a number of viable candidates for the Seahawks this year coming back from injury, and one player in particular that just took a one-year sabbatical and then had a career season. Maybe he's in contention as well, so we'll be discussing and debating here in a moment. It's the New Year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, if you want to eat healthy, sometimes it can get boring. By like week three of your resolution, you might be thinking this just is not worth it. Whereas the chocolate, you don't have to worry about that problem with Built Bars. They're 100% real chocolate 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. So here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all the sugary or calorie filled treats and replace them with built bars. So, when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. There's so many flavors to choose from, whether it's coconut almond, my personal favorite, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, mint brownie, and many more. Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So, check out built.com often to see what's new. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15. To get 15% off your order, that's Lock15 at Built.com for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rank. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Big announcement, the Peacock and Williamson NFL show is going on the road to Los Angeles for Super Bowl week. Follow the Peacock and Williamson NFL show today to get the most comprehensive coverage of the big game. It's free and it's available on all platforms. We're now continuing our season awards. We've done MVP, Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year. We've looked at Rookie of the Year. We've looked at Special Teams Player of the Year. It is time for us to look at the Comeback Player of the Year. And there are sometimes years where you don't have a ton of candidates for this award We can't say that about the Seahawks though, Rob. They had a couple of guys coming back from significant injuries that had really strong seasons. And they also had a player, as I mentioned moments ago, that took the 2020 season off due to the COVID-19 pandemic opted out, came back after a year off and had a career year, potentially could look at him for this award as well. I think we've got to start with Daryl Taylor though. To me, he is head and shoulders above everybody else here because I, I'm just going to be frank with you, Robin. I know we talked about it on the show, he didn't play at all during his rookie season. And he was coming off of that surgery to repair a stress fracture, had a rod put in his leg, and just kept having setback after setback. He lost weight. There were reports out there that he was around 230 pounds, he was supposed to be 255 to 260. Very concerning reports that were coming out there, and I thought he looked pretty light during their offseason work. So I had questions. I had concerns. Is this kid going to be able to last for an entire season? Is he going to be the player the Seahawks thought they were drafting out of Tennessee in the second round a few years ago? And while he had his ups and downs this season, I think that he squashed a lot of those concerns with his play, particularly rushing the passer. You got six and a half sacks. He had an 11% pressure rate, which is pretty solid. I think he can do a little better in that category, but he was able to drum up pretty consistent pressure off the edge for the Seahawks, and he did it with speed. He did it with great bend around the edge. He was able to win at times with power, surprising power on bull rushes. Just ask, A couple of the tackles in the Indianapolis Colts, they learned their lesson in that season opener with how much power (laughs) Daryl Taylor can bring as a rusher, but had a pretty impressive rookie season. He left a lot of tackles on the field. That would be my biggest concern, but you'll take that when you consider the injury that he came back from and really looks like a player that's barely scratched the surface of his potential. He's able to start finishing off a lot of those, uh, a lot of those really nice pass rushes that he has and get to the quarterback and bring the quarterback down. We're looking at a guy that could get you 12 plus sacks in a season. And that'd be a huge boost to the entire Seahawks defense. I think this kid's got a really bright future, a great comeback from a pretty significant injury.
1: Yeah, no question about it. When you first started to describe this Corbin, I thought there was a player whose name immediately jumped in my head. And I thought you were going to go that direction. And you've almost just convinced me that should switch because of what you just said about Daryl Taylor Because again, I I 100% agree with you. I mean, I remember Scallium at the University of Tennessee, was so excited about him, uh, interviewed him um, at the Senior Bowl, obviously long before the Seahawks made their selection of him and really thought that he was one of the more underrated, uh, certainly underrated defensive players, but I would argue underrated players just in general of the draft class a couple of years ago. Um, And so to see his speed upfield, that bend that you talked about, uh, the surprising power, you know, putting a Pro Bowl right tackle Braden Smith of the Colts down his butt um, and being able to uh, get a a sack of Carson Wentz, I mean, that really was kind of like a welcome to the NFL kind of a moment, um, you know, for for Daryl Taylor in a lot of ways, at least in my opinion. But still, I think that just considering the struggles that Rashad Penny had, over not only last year, but you know, basically over his entire NFL season, or NFL career, excuse me, and then the way that he took over, I mean, he was arguably MVP candidate uh, for the entire league over the final month of the season. I mean, just putting up historic numbers, to me, he is the player that I would argue right now should be comeback player of the year, although I do have to mention, I mean, if if we're going to talk about guys coming off of injuries, you know, unfortunately, I was there at the University of Washington when I saw Sidney Jones, then a member, of course, of the University of Washington, going to the NFL draft and um, you know watched him go down with uh, the torn Achilles, um, watched him unfortunately struggle with injuries during his time with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the fact that Sidney Jones played as well as he did for the Seahawks this season, I think that he deserves at least a, a tip of the cap as well.
0: Yeah, I can't really say that I necessarily would side with picking him for the award, but I think you make some valid points. I think last year he was pretty healthy for the most part for the Jaguars, and then they obviously traded him to the Seahawks before the start of the regular season. He played really well in the second half of the season for the Seahawks, and I think Rashad Penny, you can definitely make a strong argument with all the injuries that he had. That torn ACL just set him back so much. A number of the injuries that he had after that, and he admitted it, he thinks that Some of the other injuries he's had, his calf pull and the hamstring issue that he had were a result of the torn ACL. And that is not abnormal. We see guys come back from severe knee injuries like that, Achilles injuries, and they end up injuring something else by compensating when they don't have full confidence in their knee or in their heel. And maybe that's what happened with Rashad Penny. But for him to go out and do what he did when the first 13 weeks of the season, he had less than 80 rushing yards. And then he ends up leading the Seahawks with over 700 rushing yards. The last five games was just absolutely dynamite. As you mentioned, the MVP candidate. I want to mention the guy that took a year off because I'm not going to pick Al Woods for this award because he isn't coming back from an injury. He made the choice to sit out in 2020. But he missed an entire season of football but came back in fantastic shape at around 335 pounds, Country strong, was bulldozing people in training camp. You can just ask Kyle Fuller when he got thrown five yards during one-on-ones, got forklifted by Al Woods, and he was wrecking people all season long. This truly was the best season of his career. A career-high 50 tackles, one-and-a-half sacks, six quarterback hits. Felt like he was living in the backfield. And obviously, when he wasn't making plays, he was taking up space in the trenches, the line of scrimmage, opening things up for Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks to get over 170 tackles apiece. A big part of that, and they've talked about it, the players themselves, a big part of that was the presence of Al Woods up front and freeing up those linebackers so that they could make those plays. I thought Al Woods one of the most important players on the Seahawks' defense this year. For him at the age of 34 to come back from being off an entire season due to the pandemic and play the way that he did, Obviously going to be a priority for the Seahawks to try to bring him back because of their depth concerns they have and how well he played this past season. Kudos to him for staying in shape and being prepared, ready to go, going into the season after sitting out a year. I'm going to go with Daryl Taylor, but as I just mentioned, Rashad Penny and Al Woods, you could both – you could stake a claim to both those players that they could win this award. I just think Daryl Taylor, what he overcame to play this year and also adding the fact that he had that scary neck injury in the middle of the season – that everybody was concerned about, and he returned a few weeks later. Luckily, was able to play the rest of the season. He's come back from a lot of crazy stuff, and I just thought what he was able to do for the Seahawks off the edge, tying for second on the team in sacks. That is a comeback player of the year worthy resume.
1: No, it certainly is. And uh, again, I love that you mentioned Al Woods. You know, when when the Seahawks were playing their absolute worst this year, Corbin, when when it was almost difficult to watch them at times. It was still fun to watch Al Woods because, as you mentioned, he was just forklifting guys, and, and some of them were very good players all throughout the league. He played with such a joy, and, yeah. and you just don't see guys at 34 years old play with that same type of enthusiasm. You know, and, and so yeah, I, I absolutely will will agree that uh, the Al Woods, as much as Sidney, as much as I'm a, a big fan of what Sydney Jones did for Seattle this year, I think if you had to mention another player other than the th- the first two that you and I mentioned, Gerald Taylor, Rashad Penny, I think the Al Woods absolutely deserves that acknowledgement as well.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways you can look at comeback play of the year. It doesn't necessarily have to be a guy coming back from a severe injury. We've seen some players and other teams that maybe have battled mental health issues and were able to come back. And we've seen players that have had major adversity in their family that impacted their playing to come back. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. It's just to me, Daryl Taylor, his story, what he overcame missing his entire rookie season to do what he did this year and still feel like there's a lot of room for growth from him in the future. Uh, to me, he gets the award because he played the most games as well compared to Rashad Penny. Penny played a few more games. This probably is an easy selection for me picking him, but I just think Daryl Taylor's story is really exciting and they're hoping they have both those guys back in 2022 so they can hopefully continue to play at a very high level, give the Seahawks a jolt in the running game and pressuring opposing quarterbacks. We're going to continue our three-part series. Ken Norton Jr. has been fired. Who's going to replace him? Yesterday, yesterday, we looked at four coaches that have tight uh, have tight relationships with Coach Pete Carroll. Today we're going to look at four coaches. One of them does have a close relationship with Pete Carroll, but four coaches that have been head coaches in the league that may be available for the Seahawks as defensive coordinator candidates. Looking forward to diving into some stats and seeing which coaches might be the most realistic fit if the Seahawks choose to go with an experienced former head coach as a replacement for Ken Norton Jr. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy betting new year. As we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond, BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. It's a new year with a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked On to get started. From basketball, football, hockey, boxing, and UFC, write to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 5 days a week we're available for free on all major platforms. You can also stream on YouTube as well. Thanks for your support. Continuing our three-part series, Ken Norton Jr. was officially fired by the Seahawks yesterday, leaving a defensive coordinator vacancy on Pete Carroll's staff. We had a chance yesterday to dive into four coaches with tight relationships and connections with Coach Pete Carroll, all four of them being coaches that have previously been on his staff in some capacity. Now we're going to shift towards four coaches who have head coaching experience in the NFL, one of them being a former assistant for Pete Carroll. The other three have not been on his staff, but these guys were all head coaches within the last couple of years. Three of them were head coaches in the NFL last season. Right now, all of them could potentially be available. So let's discuss what we're calling the rivals of Pete Carroll division. All four of these coaches have been head coaches that have coached against Pete Carroll, might potentially be available to be defensive coordinators. This would be a surprising route for the Seahawks to go, Rob, because we mentioned this yesterday. You think about who Pete Carroll has hired as defensive coordinator over the years. Gus Bradley, his first coordinator, he acquired him when he arrived and kept him on staff. He retained him because Lane or Monty Kiffin gave him a very good recommendation. He was on Jim Mora Jr.'s staff, had not been a head coach in the NFL to that point. When Bradley leaves, Dan Quinn comes back from Florida. Dan Quinn's there for two seasons. They go to two Super Bowls. They win one of them. Then he becomes the Atlanta Falcons head coach. They end up replacing Quinn with Chris Rashard. No head coaching experience, but he'd been on their staff as a defensive backs coach. He becomes a defensive coordinator. When Rashard is fired, they bring back Ken Norton Jr., who has never been a head coach in the league. So this would be a little different move for the Seahawks to go out and bring in somebody like a Vic Fangio or Mike Zimmer, or Brian Flores, or even Dan Quinn, as I just mentioned, former defensive coordinator for the Seahawks. He's interviewed for a number of head coaching jobs. He was with Atlanta for four seasons before he got fired, had a great year as the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. It would be out of character for Pete Carroll to try to bring in one of these guys, but maybe that's the type of move they need to make at this point, bring in a, another head coach, a, a guy that's been a head coach in this league that – ultimately uh, can bring some new ideas and and maybe keep Pete Carroll on an even peg, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important point. Uh, You know, I think it's got to be somebody that, uh, you know, that that Pete Carroll obviously respects enough to be able to, uh, you know, basically allow him, the new defensive coordinator, to do his job. Um, you know, because obviously Pete Carroll with his defensive background, he's going to want to tinker. He's going to have his opinions about what the Seahawks should do. And, you know, I think that you make a really good point about how um, hiring a former NFL head coach, especially one opposite or, or, you know, not including Dan Quinn, but the Mike Zimmers, the Vic Fangios, the Brian Flores that don't have, uh, you know, at least a public relationship that we know of with Pete Carroll that they don't have any coaching ties with Pete Carroll um, you know again that we know of. Um, and, and so that that would be a little bit different but at the same time it was different last year when, when Seattle hired uh, Shane Waldron. It was different just a couple of days ago when Pete Carroll, you know, had to fire or, or felt like he needed to fire, you know, one of his most loyal soldiers um, and Ken Norton Jr. So this is a Seahawks team, of course, that that is doing some things a little bit differently. I think that they do feel the pressure here. So I, I think this is a fascinating list. You know, I, I've long been a fan of the idea of, uh, you know, a, a former head coach. If you put them into a position to be a coordinator, then all of that experience that they had before, all of that pressure that they had before, of being the head coach, doing all those press conferences and meeting all the people on the road and all that kind of stuff, besides the actual X's and O's and, and the actual coaching of players, that's what coaches live for. I, I think that it, it really puts them in an advantageous position. Um, you, you think about what we've seen here in recent years, the guys like, say, a Jim Schwartz who um, you know struggled as, as the head coach, but then wound up being a very successful uh, defensive coordinator yet again. Um, and so I wonder what you might see should Dan Quinn return back to Seattle. I'm really intrigued because I think that Mike Zimmer is a heck of a coach. Uh, Vic Fangio as well. Brian Flores, I love the youth. Um, you know, And I think you can throw out a number of statistics that would argue that he might be the guy that the Seattle should be considering. But again, to me, this is something I'm kind of eager to break down with you a little bit because I really think that there are some real strengths and weaknesses to all of these four candidates.
0: Yeah, I want to start off, before we even look at the numbers here, I'm just going to be up front. I mentioned this with Dan Quinn yesterday. I think you can say this for Brian Flores as well. Both Quinn and Flores have interviewed for multiple coaching jobs already at this point, and they are expected to interview with other teams next week. Both of them are going to have at least three or four head coaching interviews. I would be shocked if both of these guys are not head coaches next season. I expect both of them are going to get hired by somebody. They are in high demand. They both have head coaching experience. Dan Quinn led the Falcons to a Super Bowl. Brian Flores just had two straight winning seasons with the Miami Dolphins and got fired for it. So both these guys are really good football coaches that know how to build culture. And that might be the number one thing that jumps out to me. If those two were possibilities, I think Dan Quinn is completely out of the picture. If somehow Brian Flores did not get a head coaching job, then maybe the Seahawks could try to see if they could make something happen there. But Uh, Of those two, I think Quinn is the least likely to be coming back to Seattle. I just don't see it happening. But both these guys would be able to instill the type of culture and have the rapport with players that Pete Carroll thinks is so important. You look at the other two, I think generally from what I've heard and what I've read that Vic Fangio does a pretty good job of relating with players as well. Mike Zimmer might be the biggest question mark there. I have to wonder about him and Pete Carroll working together. He's is the one guy out of the four here that he's pretty stubborn. I could see these two guys butting heads. Maybe it would work out fabulously, but there were some reports coming out of Minnesota that he'd kind of lost that team. And that was one of the big reasons they decided to move on from him, even though he took the Vikings to the playoffs several times, made some deep playoff runs there in Minnesota the message just wasn't getting across anymore. So maybe this would be fitting for him just to go back to being a defensive coordinator, which he had to do a long time before he finally got that head coaching opportunity. But that is the one guy on this list out of the four that I would really wonder, would that be a workable relationship from a chemistry standpoint? I think they respect each other, Mike Zimmer and Pete Carroll. I just don't know if I could see those two coexisting though on the same coaching staff.
1: Yeah, I have my questions about that as well. Um I I've always um you know, I, I've always heard Mike Zimmer described as kind of being kind of cantankerous and, uh, I mean, just a, just a, a mean, tough SOB kind of a guy, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think that that type of intensity is great for a defensive coach, but at the same time, when you have the ultra positive guy that is Pete Carroll, then I, I wonder if there would be a little bit of a personality clash there. Now, at the same time, maybe that's exactly what Seattle needs is a little bit more of a, of a tough guy kind of, of a mentality, a defensive coordinator, but I don't know that the Seahawks did not already have that with Ken Norton Jr. Um, so to me, that, that's one of the reasons why I think that Mike Zimmer is absolutely worthy of a conversation. Um, I love what he was able to do in Minnesota with the way that he was able to develop pass rushers, especially. Um, you think about guys like Daniil Hunter um, and, and some of the other defensive linemen that Minnesota was able to, uh, you know, Everson Griffin being another one. Uh, Griffin, of course, was a former early round pick. Daniil Hunter, I believe, was a fourth round selection. Um, but still, guys that were not the the you know top 10 draft picks. Um, and, and yet he was able to coach them up and get them to play incredible football. And that obviously is one of the things that Seattle is going to need to do. We talked about Daryl Taylor just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and so to me, that's going to be one of the real questions here. I, I love the fact that, again, go, keeping with Zimmer for a moment, you think about the, the secondary play and the safeties, especially Harrison Smith. Now, he, Harrison Smith, of course, plays the free safety position at a very high level, whereas with Seattle, you're talking about Jamal Adams. How are you going to be able to get Jamal Adams to be as effective? But that was one of the things I always appreciate about Zimmer was he was able to kind of get his star defensive players to play like stars pretty consistently. And the same thing with Vic Fangio. I mean, just his background um, with the 49ers previously, with Chicago, um, with, uh, you know, obviously here with the Denver Broncos. I I just think about the way that he was able to create a pass rush, uh, the way that he was able to create, you know, size and power in the middle in terms of stopping the run. um, And and then just the playmakers that he had a cornerback as well as safety. I mean, basically every single stop he was able to rebuild those defenses. So, you know, you, you just ask me to pick out one guy who I think is probably the best coach of these guys. It's the oldest one, Vic Fangio. And because of his age, that's why like, one of the reasons I have some concerns here, because, again, you have Pete Carroll at his age at this point as well. Um, you know, but at the same time, I, I also think that, again, that that age is a concern a little bit as well. So you got to kind of it's, it's double edged sword there. But I think Seattle should be absolutely making phone calls with all four of these men, um, just because I think that all four of them, if they are not head coaches in the future, then they certainly should be somebody's defensive coordinator. They are really, really good coaches.
0: Thanks to True Media, we've got access to some awesome statistics on all of these potential coaching candidates. And we were talking about Mike Zimmer. I look at what happened in Minnesota. Things kind of fell off the rails for their defense the last couple of years. But the one thing that has stayed constant, they know how to get pressure on quarterbacks. They finished fourth in the NFL last year in pressure percentage. They finished second in the NFL in sacks. So if you put Mike Zimmer back in a position where – He can be the defensive coordinator, and he is the one that's in charge of getting that pass rush going. That might be exactly what the Seahawks need. And another coach that really knows how to get the pass rush going, Brian Flores. The Dolphins were 6th in pressure rate last year and 5th in sacks. Even Dan Quinn, 15th in pressure percentage, 13th in sacks. Those were both much better than what the Seahawks got last year with Ken Norton Jr. as the defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio, 19th and 18th. Not great, but he has had past seasons where his defenses have done better. And you got to remember, they traded one of their best pass rushers middle of the season in Von Miller to the Rams, so that certainly impacted their numbers as well. But uh, you know, personally, when I when I look at the numbers here, Rob, and I look at the coaches here, of those four, again, I don't think Dan Quinn and Brian Flores are realistic options. So I'm just going to cancel them out. To me, Fangio and Zimmer are the two that you could see on Seattle's sideline. As coordinators next year they love assistance for Vic Fangio they're supposed to be interviewing Ed Donatel and Sean Desai who both have coached under Vic Fangio so I wouldn't be shocked at all if they say you know what we like these apprentices but we're going to go to the master here and we're going to talk to Vic Fangio who Pete Carroll's familiar with with the rivalry with the 49ers those great defenses they had he was the coordinator on Jim Harbaugh's defenses there in San Francisco And I think people get lost here. You know, if you look at the schematics, Vic Fangio's team ran a ton of cover six, not a ton of cover three last season, middle of the pack and cover four, a lot of man coverage with cover one, but the Seahawks run a lot of three, four principles in Pete Carroll's defense. I don't think it would be the big clash that a lot of fans think would be trying to mesh what Vic Fangio wants to do with what Pete Carroll wants to do. Pete Carroll has a lot of three, four principles. They ran a lot more two deep safety looks, middle field, open coverages last year. He has shown in the past he's willing to do that. I think those two could coexist. And I think the schemes could coexist. As long as Pete Carroll lets Vic Fangio run his defense, he can get some input, but Take a step back, Pete, and let a guy that has consistently coached top 10 defenses in the NFL, let him go to work. The two of them, I think, have personalities that would work well together. So of those four, to me, Vic Fangio would make the most sense. And I know he's an older coach, but you know what? Pete Carroll's going to be 71 next year. Neither one of these guys is thinking long term. They want to win Super Bowls. Why not be a tandem together for two or three years? and see what you can do. I think there's a lot of potential there, and I just think with the Seahawks' interest and in his assistant coaches, his former assistant coaches, that they might still want to take a look at Vic Fangio if he doesn't arise as a potential head coaching candidate for one of these openings.
1: Yeah, hundred percent agree, Corbin. I, I think that uh, the CX are not scared of the age of their coaches. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have brought back Carl Smith. Um, they they wouldn't have uh, you know had that respect for Monty Kiffin, as you mentioned before. Um, you know, way back in the day, it was Alex Gibbs um, that they were talking to. I mean, so you know, coaches that are you know maybe have a little bit more silver in their hair. Uh, you know, the Lombardi Trophy is silver as well. So uh, I don't think that that's going to scare them off too much. But uh, I, again, I, I think that um, the Can break down the differences and what types of schemes that uh, these coaches have run um, over the last couple of years. I, I don't think this is so much about the X's and O's as I think it was about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Seattle just did not have enough healthy you know, uh, healthy, explosive playmaking guys on their defense a year ago. So um whether it had, been, had it been Ken Norton Jr., whether it be any one of those four coaches that we just talked about there, I do expect Seattle's defense to improve next year because I think that Seattle's going to have more talent on the defensive side of the ball next year.
0: I think this really boils down to who can use personnel best. That, to me, is the number one thing that must be addressed here, and that's where that fresh perspective comes into play because – What Ken Norton Jr. was trying to do with Jamal Adams, it just hasn't consistently worked. I thought before he got hurt, we were starting to see in coverage that he was figuring things out. He had two interceptions in like a four-game span, was playing really good football. Uh, So I feel like that is one of the keys. You know, Carlos Dunlap, the way he was misused for part of this season, they have to figure out how to maximize the personnel they have. And there could be some... Reasons why a guy like Vic Fangio or even Ed Donatel coming to Seattle would make sense. You mentioned this yesterday. You might be able to get a tag team effort going there. If you bring in one of those coaches from the Broncos, Von Miller is going to be a free agent. You put Von Miller with Daryl Taylor and Carlos Dunlap rushing the passer. This could suddenly be a very ferocious defense, especially if those players, their skill sets are maximized by the new defensive coordinator. I think that was probably the biggest thing for Ken Norton Jr. As you can say, there were some personnel issues that inflicted some damage on his ability to get the job done. And maybe that's why the slow starts happened. But at the end of the day, he didn't maximize the talent that he had in a lot of positions and injuries gotten in away too. So hopefully whoever they choose as their new defensive coordinator will be able to take players like Jamal Adams and really play them to their strengths. Cause if you can do that, the Seahawks should be able to put together one of the better defenses in the NFL. So this is going to be fun to continue watching. We still got one more part to this series. We've talked about coaches close to Pete Carroll. We've now looked at former head coaches tomorrow. It's all about the outside the box wild cards. And there's a few coaches out there that have already been linked to the Seahawks that haven't worked for Pete Carroll that would kind of be Shane Waldron-type hires on the defensive side of the football, that intrigues me. So we're going to have a chance to look at a couple of those wild cards tomorrow on our Thursday podcast. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen, Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at RobRang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow for our Thursday show, as I mentioned, wrapping up our Ken Norton Jr. series, who's going to be replacing him as Seattle's defensive coordinator. We're also going to continue our post-2021 awards. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.